0: Wow. Good morning, everyone. That is awesome. Thank you for the introduction. It's good to be here. Thank you for your prayers and that we can be on your team as as one of the missionaries out there on the field. Gosh, I can remember the first time I came here. I think it was with Joel Rosenberg, and we were in a different building. You had wooden chairs and all of that. Do you remember that? Was that a school or was that a... Yeah, that was so cool. I love what you guys are doing here. Love your heart. That was so cool hearing about the racial reconciliation and it's just wonderful to be here worship fills our souls and we're gone so much we need it we need it so thank you praise team okay well a lot happening with the doyles since last time i've been here if we could do the first one stephanie so we have six children Three boys and three girls, from the left to right: Shanna, Tommy, Jamark, Lindsey, Josh, and Sarah. Josh got rid of the man bun, which we say hallelujah. It just, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it wasn't happening. So anyway, he got rid of it. But anyway, um, six children, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, Two of them are not married. Shanna on the left, Tommy next. Tommy works with us in the Middle East. Shanna works at Chuck Swindoll's Church in. Uh, Frisco Texas as a teacher and uh, so we you know we kind of live our lives in the Middle East We're there most of the time the back and forth so we like arranged marriages so we're taking applications for the two <laughs> if any of you but uh, so we had six kids in eight years crazy I mean it was just insane I was a senior pastor and and our, our life was just so um, busy all the time and um, and then we got To where we had five teenagers at once and i remember when god called us to go to the middle east it was uh three months before 9 11 then we were raising support 9 11 happens and people would say aren't you afraid to go to the middle east i mean it's dangerous and i'd say it's dangerous in my house i mean it's super dangerous so we were sitting around the table one night and we said hey let's just play this little game how many kids do you want you know so we went around and, and uh, John Mark said, uh, you know, I don't think I want children. And Lindsay said, uh, one, uh, but I'm not sure, maybe not. We got to the end. We went through all six. We had a net of two. <laughs> two. So I said to Joanne, we have so blown it. They don't even want kids, right? They, 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 they're just, but they grow up, right? Next one's Stephanie. And they started to get married. And uh, that's Josh and Jesse. Did get rid of the man bun, and it worked. He got married shortly after. Okay. And so there they are at Josh and Jesse's wedding. Four grandchildren. And, but we kind of thought, you know, they're so spaced together. What if it just started happening at once? Started having kids? Well, last year, we had the bumper crop. Here they are. Three different families. that We call them the 18ers. So I'll show you all the grandkids. Emma, top. Uh, left Bennett uh, Ethan on top Emmett uh, in the red shirt and then you have on the bottom left right Charlotte Theo and River and I mean we're around people and they see the three together and they think they're triplets No, they're from different families but it is so much joy seeing the kids have kids and I think about this I think about What must it be for God to look down and see us living our lives and we're getting rid of of our busyness, we are tuned into what he's doing not only here but around the world and we're saying, God, I want to be used, and we lead someone to faith in Christ. Imagine how God just looks down and sees those spiritual grandchildren multiplying. And I'm telling you, we're coming from the Middle East. Did you know, despite the danger, despite the wars, despite the refugees, the Middle East has the fastest growing church per capita in the world now, in the world. Now that doesn't sound like something you'd hear on the news, does it? I mean, we're going next week to a Middle Eastern country and working in a city that is a radical city. And we work with 350 Muslims that have come to faith in Christ, been baptized, being disciple. they are a force for God. God is moving. There are miracles happening, and I think we get lulled to sleep here, but there are miracles that are happening. Let's read the scriptures, and then we'll go to the next one, okay, Stephanie? So here's our verses. We're in 1 Peter 2, and just to set the context, here's what's going on. Amazingly, God calls us out of the darkness. We, once, we weren't just in the darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 says, we were the darkness. I mean, it was our hearts are dark. God calls us out. We're forgiven. And starting in chapter 2, verse 4, we are, um, we are uh, or uh, verse 9, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. We know those verses. We probably haven't memorized. We've heard them. Just let that sink in a minute. A royal priesthood. Chosen people, special to God. But then Peter goes on and says, but you're living in a dark world. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to try to kill you. So you're the people of God. But the people down here won't understand it. They're going to persecute you. And you're going to suffer for being his chosen people. Look at verses starting same chapter in verse 20. But how is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? In other words, that's not suffering if you deserve it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Here's the verses. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. Those three words, in his steps. So Peter says, look, I've been through a lot, had my ups and downs following Jesus, but he's called us out, we're a royal priesthood, chosen people, special to God, the world is dark, you're going to suffer, how do you navigate your way? You walk in his steps just in his steps i'm amazed at how many times in the bible god uses just three words and it describes the situation perfectly and we remember it like it is finished he is risen in his steps this is what we're called to do okay next one stephanie if you could let's go to this this next slide yes This is, wow, this is the last minute, thank you Taylor. This is the miracle in the Mediterranean. So you probably heard about the Syrian war and what was happening in the Islamic State, Jabhat al-Nusra, all these terrorist groups. It was horrific. Uh, 60% of those that lived in Syria no longer had homes. They They were refugees, some in Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Europe here. Uh, some just wandering around Syria this woman we met in Lebanon we brought all the as many as we could Syrian pastors out for a break and just refreshing time in Lebanon and just getting into the word hearing their stories and this dear woman Mona is a grandmother and she told us this story and as soon as we heard it we thought what did this really happen we started talking to pastors and different leaders they said it happened it's all over Syria so she has a son that was living on the coast of Syria. It's in the midst of the war, things are bad. There's hardly any food. There isn't a lot of clean water. There are uh, people are just going through PTSD, unbelievably. And her son uh, has a son that his name is Ali, and he was turning three years old. Ali has never spoken. He was born halfway through the Syrian war. He's used to hearing bombs explode, shootings every day, seeing dead people on the side of the road, Christians crucified on crosses. I mean, this kid's seen it all. He went into himself. He didn't speak. One time he said, Mommy, so they know it's okay. He can speak. It was a traumatized thing. But her son called, Mona's son calls and says, We're leaving Syria. We have to get out. There's no job. We can't pay our bills. We're in danger every day. They lived in a super unsafe place. And uh, today, we saw children drinking out of mud puddles. There's no water. we got to go. We're getting on a raft. We're going to try to float to Europe. And once we get there, we're going to get on the refugee trail and try to get to Germany or Sweden or somewhere where we're going to have a better life. We're going. And we're taking Ali, and we're getting on this raft, and they do that night. The mom doesn't feel great about it, but what, what, what can she do? There's no life there. They get out on this raft. It has a little motor, and it's going out into the Mediterranean. They're out a couple of uh, hours fighting the waves. They're not making much headway. And all of a sudden, they see these horrific, big, bright lights in their face that just shine, and they think, what is that? It's a ship coming straight at them. And they're trying to get out of the way. They, they know that the, it's, it's going to be bad, and they're, they're trying to get out as fast as they can. They can't move very fast. They barely get out of the way of the ship, and it goes by. And after it does, they think, whew, we're safe. But once the ship goes by, the waves in the wake take that little rubber raft, flip it up in the water, and they go flying into the Mediterranean. They don't swim. Uh, the parents swim, but Ali doesn't swim, and he doesn't speak, and it's dark, and they don't have life uh, rafts or anything, uh, life jackets, and they're calling out for Ali, nothing, nothing, they're treading water, they're looking, it's dark, this is hopeless, a fisherman hears them, and he's off the coast, and he he's night fishing, and, and revs up his engine, and, and takes the boat out, but it takes him about 10 minutes, he's fighting the waves, and the wakes, and He's going as fast as he can and he gets to where he hears the noise and and so the husband and wife are crying out for Ali and they're looking they can't find him and this fisherman comes up and he pulls them into the boat and they're just beside themselves we lost Ali they get in the boat and there's Ali sitting in the boat he's in the boat sitting at the back of the boat it's a big long boat he's sitting there and they're hugging him and crying what how did this happen and Ali he doesn't swim and the um The guy that was the fisherman says, uh, I I don't know, I just, I heard the noise, and he was the first one I saw, he was floating, he was just floating in the water, but he doesn't swim, and he said, well, I guess he does now, I I don't know, you know, and Ali, we can't believe it, what happened, they're crying, and Ali sits up and he speaks for the first time, and this is what he said, Jesus was there waiting in the water for me. Mommy, Daddy, Jesus was there. And he lifted me up. Now, did you notice the first word that he said? Jesus. And it unlocked everything. Ali has been speaking ever since. They went from there, and they had a decision to make. And you know what it was? We're leaving. We're going back to Syria. If Jesus is strong enough to protect us, out in the the sea we're going back we're, we're going there and and don't you want to follow Ali's life I mean is this the next Apostle Paul you know he he said that Jesus smiled at him he lifted him up and smiled at him and said that he would be okay and he has spoken ever since no problem speaking speaks all the time in fact his grandmother said I wish he'd tone it down he talks all the time he's telling people Jesus was there in the water for me listen he is doing miracles he is saving souls he is calling people to the front lines to be in the army to fight against the darkness ali is going to be one of them okay next one if we could this is sebastian sebastian is from sweden so here's i'll just put it in the context sebastian was the ozzy osborne of sweden they were in this uh, shock group. They 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 sang songs. He was the lead singer. They sang songs about their crimes. They they packed out arenas. They it was the big drug infested uh, concerts. They they sang about their crimes. The guy that started it was in the penitentiary. Let's do a rock group. Let's make it just horrible, horrific. Let's sing about the stuff we do. They had really good lawyers. They always seemed to get off. I mean. This group was so bad that there was one guy in the group that masterminded a robbery off a plane that flew in from China. They faked like a Brinks truck and got a truck and painted it and everything, got away with $5.2 million. Finally, got caught later as they were singing songs about it. This is a rock group, and you know what the name, Sebastian's in the middle holding the baby. You know what the name of their rock group was? The Cartel oh, wow, I want to send my kid to that concert, right? Wow. But Jesus came to Sebastian. And believers started to reach out to him. He started to have dreams. He started to to read the Bible. The the Bible that he, he read, his favorite verse was, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? and he faced the gates of hell when he came to Jesus. He made the announcement. People that followed the group wanted to kill him, sending death threats. But he just kept plodding on. He found out later that he had a grandfather that had been a believer. He didn't know anyone in his family who was a believer. They were all secular, he thought. And he had a Bible and they found it he had one verse underlined. Psalm 27:1, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This guy, Sebastian, their music was so bad, it was banned in schools and prisons because when people heard it, they would just riot. It was just terrible. He has the worst tattoos you can imagine on his arms, but he came to Jesus, and God is using him. And we met up because our publisher published his books, and we were on the same freeway and ended up going into this McDonald's. And I'm not kidding you. Every one of the kids was like, Oh, my gosh, that's Sebastian. I saw the guy doing the French fries. He's missing the sleeve, you know, going on the floor. And this is Sebastian. Oh, my gosh. He is a powerhouse for God. Now, what does that have to do with the Middle East? You know what God's given him a special heart for? Muslims. He's reaching Muslims. There's a lot of refugees there, and people are sick of them in Europe. And so they feel like lepers, and nobody wants them. Just get out of here. There's a lot of crime and all kinds of stuff. And he's reaching them. Pray for Sebastian. Uh, God's using him. Okay, next one. So if you go into the Middle East, you're going to hear stories when you work with the underground church like we do that just are off the charts. You just can't even conceive of it. You just can't. This is Mohammed. Mohammed is married to Wissam. They have three children. He lived in Syria. He had three businesses where he made millions. He supported the Islamic State with his money. He didn't have to serve in the Islamic State because he was making money, and they liked that. And he financed a lot of things. Terrible to his wife. She said, he beat me not every day, but at least every other day. Um, Just an evil, evil man. And one more thing. He had 67 other wives. It's 68 wives. You think, how in the world can you have that? Well, in Islam, in certain areas, there is siga or muta, which means you can do a legalized temporary marriage. If the imam sanctions it, signs it, woman agrees, you pay her money, you can have a temporary marriage. It could be for a week, a month, a year, whatever. It is basically legalized prostitution. 67 other wives. Let that sink in for a second. Wow. And Jesus started coming to him in dreams. Now, if I'm Jesus, (laughs) I'm kind of thinking, I'm gonna bypass this creep, right? (laughs) I mean, this is just too much. We only can go so far. This is too much, right? Jesus starts coming to him in dreams and he knows he's as guilty as can be. He knows his life is evil. He's so sick of himself dream after dream after dream and finally he's saying i i I gotta get a bible i hear christians read the bible i gotta get a bible so he goes to this church in syria that's partially bombed out they have a prayer meeting going in mohammed walks in and in typical mohammed fashion he steals a bible you know, they would have given it to him, right? They have those. For, that's what they're there for, right? And he steals it, and he's reading it, putting under his, his mattress every night, reading it. Eight months later, Muhammad comes to faith in Jesus. Unbelievable. So then he goes to his wife, with him, and says, I've had a change. Jesus saved me. He forgave me of my sins. And she said, you know what her words were? Well, how convenient is that? (laughs) Jesus forgave you? So I suppose you think that I'm going to forgive you. But that's never happening because I hate you. I would have killed you if I could have got away with the kids. I hate you. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't want to hear it. But over the next year, she saw the difference. No beatings, just love, joy, honoring her. Praying at dinner. She finally, after one year, made her way to an underground church in Syria where he was worshiping. She wanted to know about Jesus. It was amazing that she needed something big. Jesus came to her in dreams too. Saw it in living color, her husband, and she goes, she comes to faith in Christ. So what do you do with the marriage? What do you do? I said to her, with some I mean, you guys have an incredible marriage, and Jesus can do anything. Forgiveness, I mean, forgiving people on the cross, but how in the world, as his wife, could you forgive him? She said, I know, I know. But I looked at my heart, and not his, and realized how evil my heart was. I wanted to kill my husband. That's how evil my heart was, so I asked God to forgive me. I forgave my husband, and I thought there would be a tolerance. I'm okay with him, we'll do this thing for the kids, whatever. He flooded my heart with love for my husband. And she said this, I love him, he loves me, and just me alone. So I'm telling you, Joanne and I were around them for a day. In the Middle East, you don't do PDA. You don't do it. Physical display of affection. Men over here, women over here. You don't do that. That's like secular. That's so way out there. They cannot walk by each other without a little squeeze or a little touch or a kiss on the cheek. They are like honeymooners. I'm telling you. So listen, we get to see the forgiveness of God. And that's an amazing thing. You know what else we get to see that's amazing, all of us as believers? Reconciliation. That may even be the greater miracle. When you think about it, Jesus said this, that we were called to walk in his steps. Wisdom knew deep down inside the only thing to do was forgive him. And when she did, it was gone. So this is what she told me. She said, I realized by my anger and hatred toward my husband, it was not getting me anywhere. She said, when you do that, have anger or bitterness toward someone else, you're the one actually drinking the poison not them oh that was a great visual okay next one pray for muhammad and wisdom. uh all things don't end happily ever after like that in the middle east her parents have issued a fatwa to kill him his parents have the imam that used to sign off on his marriages they all want to kill him not because of what god's done in their life because they've left islam and they're following jesus Here's a friend of mine that grew up in the Gaza Strip, a former Muslim. Wow. Speaking of forgiveness, this guy lives in the West Bank, okay? So the biblical Judea, Samaria, West Bank, Palestinian area, grew up in Gaza, moved there, and this is Jewish writing on his arm. He said this to me. He said, when I came to Jesus, I decided that, I wanted to be a full disciple. I said, oh, okay. I didn't know there was anything else. And he says, well, nobody says there is, but there really is, because I think people will say, I want to follow Jesus and do whatever he calls me to do, but they really can hold back on things. I want to be a full disciple. Here's the verse that just smacked me in the face, love your enemies. For me, my enemies were the Jews and the state of Israel. And I drank the Kool-Aid and believed everything bad in my life was due to them and I hate them and I want to kill them and then I come to Jesus and I read on the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. And I decided, okay God, please forgive me. I want to love them. And he just filled my heart with love for the Jews. I love them. I love sharing the gospel with them. I love telling them about Yeshua HaMashiach. So you know what he did? He has the deuteronomy 6 the shema in hebrew printed on his arm hero israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your soul mind soul and strength heart soul and strength this is the jewish confession of faith it's their john 3 16. this is on his arm he lives in the west bank do you realize what would happen to him if anyone saw that his name's muhammad i told him muhammad don't wear a muscle shirt, okay? Please, you know? You can imagine someone seeing that. So I just showed you two Mohammeds. That's a good point. Pray for Mohammed in the Middle East. Pray for Mohammed. That covers about half the Middle East, really. It it totally does. Okay, next one. Let's go to the next one. I love this. We're up on the Temple Mount, and we're teaching, and I know you guys do Israel, and I just want to throw something out here that... The pastor's gone, so I'll just sneak this in. We want you to go on a mission trip with us. We do uh, mission, We do Bible tours, too, and I'm sure your pastors are awesome. He's such a great teacher. But we do mission trips in Israel, and... Uh, and uh through uncharted and our kids lead them now and it's they call it uncharted trails where the great commission meets the great outdoors so here's what you do you walk you do the jesus trail you walk from nazareth to capernaum on an ancient first century road where jesus walked for three days you camp out you're with palestinians jews the next night you get there then you go into the west bank and do a medical clinic will take you to an unreached village 100 percent muslim Let them have a a doctor, nurses come in. We do an eyeglass clinic. It's the coolest thing. And so we have the eyeglass chart in Arabic. And every time they read it, the chart is John 3.16 in Arabic. And so they read it. And then we go, okay, better or worse, you know? (laughs) Better or worse? we have them read it seven times, seven times, you know? Better or worse? And when I go to the eye doctor, I can never tell, you know? Like, it looks the same to me, better or worse, same. But anyway, uh, that's what we do. You get to do that. Then you go to Jerusalem. We have a big initiative where we're working with Holocaust survivors. Do you know within 8 to 10 years there will be no Holocaust survivors left in Israel? They'll all be gone. The war's been over for so many decades now. The average age of a Holocaust survivor is 88 but we work with chosen people in our ministry. And last year, it's so cool, 60 Holocaust survivors came to faith in Christ and were baptized, if you can imagine. Many of them in the Jordan River. Oh, you get to do that. And then when you're done with that, you go into the desert and you work with the Bedouins in tents, Lawrence of Arabia, think that. And they're Muslim too, and you get to share Jesus' love and they're warming up. So let's do this. Can we just put it on the calendar now and see if the pastor notices it? Can we just do that? No, we would love to take you guys. It would be awesome. Okay, so we're up on the Temple Mount. We're showing them what's happening, the the place of conflict and all these things that are happening, riots up there, Jews coming up to pray, Palestinians hitting them with rocks, they're paid by um, uh, Qatar, a Kuwait, uh, actually pays their salaries, Palestinians up on the Temple Mount to to cause problems, it's a sad thing, but anyway, so I'm up there and talking about what's happening with our Bible tour, and be careful, things can heat up, and nobody's looking at me. Nobody's watching me, and I I thought, what, what, did something happen, I turn around, and there's my wife, Joanne. She's not sitting there telling how bad the situation is. She's doing something about the situation. She's reaching out to Muslims, doesn't know these women at all, sees them just with a big old smile, hey, where are you from? Walks up, says hello, look at the next picture, if you would, Stephanie. Look at that, wow. And I mean, we've got people with us that have never talked with a Muslim. They don't know what to think. They watch too much news, they're getting the worldview from the news, had a chance to talk with them, share the gospel. Amazingly, Muslims are open today to the gospel like never before. I said it last time I was here, but we have a new set of numbers. In the last 10 years, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus than in the last 1,400 years of Islam, okay? Last 10 years. 14 i think god's doing something right i think he's i think he's running a special on muslims or something right okay next one let's go to the next one if you would and so here we are this guy looked kind of mean he's an imam he's on the temple mount a little crusty old dude didn't like christians around and all that stuff and but a few minutes later um he just kind of warmed up and and i don't know what it was i think maybe he had a crush on my wife i don't know what it was something happened but he started listening we got to share the gospel with him a whole group around and we said hey well how can we pray for you you're a man of faith we're we're people of faith too how can we pray and he said well my wife is sick okay we're gonna pray in jesus name lord would you heal his wife And there's like 30 people around this dude was touched I mean, he looked mm, kind of uh, extreme, but just loving him, praying for him. And when God heals his wife, he's going to go, What was it? Who was that that prayed for us? Okay, next one, if you would. So, next slide, if you could. There you go. This is Pharaoh. Wow. And my wife and I are writing her story now in a new book, Pharaoh. Unbelievable. So there's a rule in Jordan that if you work and you're a single woman, part of your pay that you get is put into an account and saved for your marriage. So you can't touch it, it's something the government does, it's like a social security kind of thing, and they take it. And uh, Pharaoh was uh, free and easy and just loving life and making a lot of money, but her mom got cancer and it was really bad. And it ended up that what happened is the dad called her one day and said, uh, your mom needs a, a surgery and it's gonna cost $6,000. I've already looked in your account. that You've been working and saving with the government and it is $6,000. But the only way we can get it is for you to get married. And she said, but I don't have anyone in mind. I'm not, I'm not anybody. And the father said, we've already arranged. For your marriage and of course it was to someone that was many years older than her she had no say she had to do it the cancer surgery worked on her mom but she's thrown into this marriage of this man that really doesn't like her and beats her daily and would say some of the most uh downgrading things she would cook him a meal trying to make him happy and he oftentimes would throw it in the trash can once he said this is so disgusting it's even more disgusting than you so her life is terrible she wants to commit suicide but there's these syrian refugees flocking into jordan just thousands of them jordan has one of the highest population growths of Of Syrian refugees. In fact, I think the third largest city now in Jordan is a refugee camp of Syrians, and so she's seeing these Syrians But she's meeting some of them and they have joy these Syrian refugees Just have joy and finally she grabs this one woman and says okay You have nothing you lost everything in Syria, but I keep meeting this group of Syrian refugees and of course they're covered Muslim and says that um, but you're smiling. What is it? What, what is going on? And this one woman said, well, I have a secret. And she said, what's the secret? It's Jesus. She goes, it's Jesus? Well, he's a prophet. No, he's more than that. It's Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus, and that's why I smile. Everything's changed. What? So she wants to know more. She, she just can't believe it. What, how, how, how do I get this joy? And over time. Some of them lead her to faith in Christ. Okay, that was Farah before. This is Farah now. In the middle, do you see her? Let's go back and see the one before, if you can. Covered. Look at now. This is her. I'm telling you, this girl is a fireball for Jesus. You know what she did when she got baptized? She said afterwards, they're in dripping clothes. They said, well, let's go back and take you to change your clothes, there's a room back here. They have to do it with with Muslims, former Muslims. behind a locked door in a church in off hours so they're not seen by family, whatever. And um, she said, I, I don't want to change my clothes. I just love the feel of this water, just that Jesus has cleansed me. I don't want to change my clothes. I don't want to dry my hair. She has Jesus in her life in such a deep way. Her husband is this close to coming to jesus okay so would you pray for him i kid you not his name is muhammad again okay but please i said that as a joke but i'm proving it right so so please pray for her husband He is this close. He's seen a change. She loves him despite how bad he was to her. He has loosened up. No beatings. He knows something's going on. He's meeting with some of the key leaders there, hearing about Jesus. Please pray for him. God's moving. Next one, if you would. God is moving in such a powerful way. Hey, listen. Every year, Uncharted, here's what we do. We find the most persecuted believers in the world, and then we do a national letter campaign where people write letters and we deliver them. So four years ago, it was the Egyptian widows. Remember they lost their husbands on the beach in Libya to ISIS? The next year after that, it was Syrian pastors right in the middle of the difficult areas in Syria, surrounded by ISIS, all the terrorist groups. Last year, it was North Korean defectors that have come to South Korea and are now believers. We brought them like 3,000 letters. This year, it's the Nigerian widows. The Fulani Muslims—they're trying to just wipe them out. One weekend in June a year ago, a hundred villages were leveled, kids were kidnapped, women were taken. This is not getting the news coverage that it should. But we're going with Voice of the Martyrs in December. We're going, and we're going to take these letters. We have three thousand of them. If any of you want to scratch one down, we will actually. Hand-deliver it to them. Let me just tell you what you can do. Take a bulletin, whatever. You could hand it at the table back there where we'd be standing afterwards and just say, my name is Fred. I'm praying for you, dear sisters. Here's a verse. Hopefully this encourages you. I love you. We want them to know that even though the news is not reporting this much, they are not forgotten. We know this. Paul said, if one of us suffers, we all suffer, right? Right? We may not be called to suffering at this point, at this point, maybe we will. Did you know that 80% of all religious crimes around the world today are aimed at Christians? Aimed at Christians. It's happening around the world where we are being persecuted. People in the body of Christ are being killed every day. So when some of these former Muslims like Mohammed from Lebanon comes to faith in Christ, We have to ask him the two questions. I mean, we just have to. It's only fair. We don't want him to think it's going to be a walk in the park. It's not. Here's the two questions. Number one, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? This is before they pray to receive Jesus. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Yes. Okay, next one. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Because it could be that's what God calls you to do. Could happen. And it's probably going to be your family that comes after you. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Yes. Those 350 Muslims that we talked about in the Middle East that have been baptized and growing right now, every one of them answered those questions, yes. Yes. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to die for Jesus. Can you imagine if we had those two questions in the new members class in America? Seriously, I, when I was a pastor, that would have vacated the place, right? They would have gone. Are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to die for Jesus? Peter says this, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. Three words. You've been called, the world's evil, they won't recognize it. How do you navigate through this as foreigners and aliens? You walk in his steps. We said it this way 20 years ago, what would Jesus do It's a great thing to ask yourself in the midst of any situation how do I walk in his steps so what's God calling you to do what does all this mean today this message number one we're the body of Christ we got to pray for our brothers and sisters in harm's way on the front lines it is not like it is here there is no freedom in North Korea with one-third of the body of Christ in prison for life or in the Middle East for them to share their faith openly with Muslims it's just not there And so we need to pray for them. They're in harm's way. Pray for them. If you're on Facebook, you can get on our site, 838. Number 8, 30 spelled out, 8. We have prayer requests from the front lines every day, 838. Number two, he's calling you. Who's he calling you to? Who's he calling you to reach out to with the gospel? Who is it? What's the group of people that makes you say, oh, man, I could never go... To the homeless i couldn't do it i couldn't go and meet jewish friends i i wouldn't know what to say i couldn't i couldn't go to people that are politically opposed to me i wouldn't know what to say i couldn't go to muslims and that's what we said 20 years ago we can't go to the muslims They'd kill us it's not going to work out but god's moving has nothing to do with us has little very little to do with us, so in his steps, in his steps, well, in the Middle East, you have to be willing to die for your faith in Christ. Here in America, what does it mean to walk in his steps? To be willing to live for Christ.